0: Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi everyone, welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. I've rolled out a new feature on Unconfirmed, a weekly news recap. This summer I conducted a survey to find out what you listeners wanted and a number of you said you'd be interested in a weekly news recap on the show. So now I've added a few minutes onto every episode of Unconfirmed where I go over the big news stories that week. So today, after I close out with my guest, be sure to stick around for my week in crypto recap. Now, onto the show. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world, with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with transparent fees. Create an account today at eToro.com. That's E T O R O.com new
1: regulations just rocked the crypto world attend the virtual asset travel rule compliance conference and hackathon in san francisco this november 5th and 6th join industry experts and top technical minds to learn about cryptocurrency
0: compliance and collaborate on the open source solution that preserves privacy crypto.com get their app and buy crypto at true cost Get a metal MCO Visa card with up to 5% back on all your spending. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's guest is Alex Gladstein, Chief Strategy Officer at the Human Rights Foundation. Welcome, Alex.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: The last few weeks have been a whirlwind around Libra and China. On the one hand, you've got Facebook versus U.S. and European regulators, where the the regulators are saying, we can't trust you. You're not keeping people's data secure. You're selling their information. You've allowed your platform to be manip- manipulated by bad actors trying to undermine democracy. Uh, and and now they're saying you're making money from politicians spreading lies. And then on the other hand, we've got China versus Facebook, I guess, which are basically the two biggest populations or user bases on Earth. And they're both racing to see who can create the first dominant or widely used stablecoin. From your perspective, as someone who engages in the fight for human rights, what do you make of these events?
2: Well, I think we should not understate the significance of Xi Jinping, you know, in my view, the dictator of China, giving a a significant public sort of speech open to reporters at the Politburo to talk about how China is going to be the number one blockchain nation. I I think that that's really, really significant and, and he's made it a point to put blockchain now up at the same level as artificial intelligence and 5g and other transformational technologies. And I think the reason that he's doing that is to position the population for the adoption of a quote-unquote blockchain digital currency. And I think the main goal of the Chinese government is to basically unveil this new digital currency that will give them more control and surveillance over people's lives.
0: And part of the motivation there seems to be the news that Facebook was going to be launching Libra China does seem to view view Libra as competitive. And in the congressional hearing recently, Mark Zuckerberg tried to paint the real issue as China hurting the U.S. dollar's dominance. Do you agree with Zuckerberg that that's the more important concern? Or do you think he was just trying to distract U.S. regulators away from Facebook's track record with privacy and data?
2: Yeah, I mean, I do think it's like a payments arms race, right, where you have uh, several entities you have the Chinese government, which is trying to get its own house in order and is trying to achieve a kind of a more streamlined, easier controlled currency system inside China, but also something that can be exported and used all across the world, especially in the Belt and Road countries, countries which are part of its very large and ambitious infrastructure project. Um, you know, at the same time, you have Facebook with, as you mentioned, its billions of users really trying to seize the opportunity to create its own payment platform that it would control autonomously uh, from governments. And I think that even though Zuckerberg's trying to paint the picture that Facebook would be like the American alternative, uh, I think they're very much a, kind of a third option in terms of uh, China versus the United States versus Facebook. Um, I think the United States is is still going to be dominant and sovereign financially you know, for the near future. The dollar is obviously the world's most trusted currency it remains so um so you're going to have advancements with the dollar you're going to have advancements with libra which may of course be based on a basket of different assets um and will be much more global and then you're going to have the chinese digital yuan
0: yeah so let's talk about that digital yuan a bit more China already has Alipay and WeChat Pay, so a lot of its payments already are digital. So if it does or when it releases this digital yuan, how do you see that affecting human rights in China?
2: Right. So the transition from uh, basically mostly cash society in China 20, 30 years, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, to what is now today a society where Most transactions in China on a daily basis are digital is really significant and helpful for the police state because it allows the government to go to companies like Tencent and Alibaba that make platforms like WeChat and get user information. And it allows them to more tightly control society, according to data from uh, the end of twenty eighteen. Um, a little bit more than half of all daily transactions in China take place on, uh, social media apps like WeChat, Alipay about another quarter take place on, uh, through credit traditional sort of debit credit cards. And then another quarter are still paper, metal cash, right? So what you're going to see is the, uh, cash start to continue or rather continue to disappear. So by the end of next year, I think you, you're going to see a total dominance of, like the social media companies in terms of daily transactions. But the government is not satisfied with that because if let's say I'm a user and I have a WeChat account, the government still has to go to Tencent to get my records, right? There's like that intermediary, which is kind of annoying, but they want like omniscient real-time surveillance. So what they're trying to basically do is create a currency that will give them immediate access to all transactions without having to go through a third party. So they're trying to create like base money. Uh the actual currency itself will be issued and minted by the Central Bank of China. Uh, Sold to companies like Tencent, Alibaba, and the commercial banks. Distributed to customers. But the central bankers will have insight directly into every single transaction. This is like the dictator's dream. And it's something that they are actually trying to implement. And it would be very different than the existing system, which, again, is largely digital already, in that it gives them direct control and access and oversight over every transaction. And that's a big difference.
0: And so from your work in human rights, I know that you have a lot of information on the uh, censorship and other kind of oppressive activities of the Chinese Communist Party. So I know, you know, a lot of these details on how the new Chinese digital yuan are still forthcoming, but it just, uh, you know, if you were to think a little bit about kind of China's history and track record, where do you think they could go with this new system?
2: Well, think about it. I mean, the data I quoted earlier about a quarter of transactions still sort of being cash-based probably doesn't include a lot of black market activity as well. So you've still got significant cash, uh, significant cash economy in China, Now, if you want to buy a political book that's illegal or that criticizes the Communist Party or you want to buy a substance that's banned or you want to move your money abroad or you want to do anything that the government does not permit, you're going to have to take your money that, you know, in your account and withdraw it into cash to do so. So you can imagine how excited the government would be to get rid of cash and make it that much harder for you to do anything that they don't want you to do. Right. So in this dream reality that they're cooking up which may come as soon as next month where they start to unroll this like digital cash this digital yuan that they have total control over let's say you live in a city that where this is totally taken over where like everybody only uses this digital cash where there's no more paper or metal money if you want to do something like buy bitcoin or whatever, by marijuana or by a book that criticizes the government. I mean, how are you going to do that? It it makes it a lot more difficult. So this is certainly something that would really increase their ability to control the population. Um, And it's terrifying from a civil liberties point of view. I mean, as I think a lot of um, folks on your show have noted over the years, uh, cash is important for financial privacy. Um, Cash is important to protect against like both surveillance capitalism and Orwellian surveillance. When I give you a note and pay for something, um, no one else needs to know about that. There's no record. When I buy something from you with a paper note, you don't know what my name is, where I come from, what my home address is, what my whole digital identity stack is. You just don't know, right? So cash is really important in that aspect. And the Chinese government wants to like sort of destroy that and create a cash that's, even more surveillable than than anything that's come before it so i'm i'm short-term medium term i would be very worried about this um the only thing i would say that's interesting from a more long-term perspective is i think it may end up being a mistake for them to pump up blockchain and for the literally today is the 31st of october so right um in 2008 on this very day satoshi released the uh, white paper for bitcoin and in just a matter of just over a decade, we've gone from this being uh, a curiosity on a digital mailing list to the subject of the ruler of the largest country on Earth's, you know, national agenda, right? And where the the, the mistake might be is, is in like promoting blockchain. So in trying to get everybody comfortable with this idea of this new digital currency, they're really pushing blockchain, not only on television, in the newspapers in China, in the through the words of Xi Jinping, but also on these like Communist Party applications that people use and download, like they're offering educational content on blockchain. And for me, I just think it's a matter of time before curious minds start to learn about Bitcoin. And I think that there's already like some knowledge about Bitcoin in China, and it'll just be very difficult to prevent the population from learning about it, especially in a near future where Look, they may unroll this digital currency, this digital yuan. It may work. It may, it may, it may technically work. It may, it may be the substrate for the future economy there. But, you know, this is going to be a relatively stable, if they're lucky, asset. It, and it's going to depreciate like all fiat currencies do over time. And if Chinese citizens are watching this Bitcoin thing, this orange number go up phenomenon, where over time Bitcoin continues to increase in value, they're going to get very interested. You know, it's not just like the internet where the Chinese government can kind of easily censor and control it. Chinese government can't control the price of Bitcoin. So this is kind of like a new beast. And um, from what we can tell, instead of like banning it outright, which would probably make it even more interesting for Chinese citizens, what the Chinese government has, has I think, tried to do against Bitcoin is is create its own version and try and onload people onto that. And that's what we're that's kind of what we're seeing unfolding today.
0: We're gonna discuss more about how that experiment might go for them. But first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com, have you seen the MCO Visa card? A metal card loaded with perks with up to 5% back and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix too. What's not to love? With Crypto.com, not only can you spend your crypto, but you can grow it too. Earn up to 6% per year on the most popular coins like BTC, XRP, LTC, and up to 12% per year on stablecoins. Join the over 1 million others and download the Crypto.com app today.
1: The travel rules just hit Planet Crypto with a big bang, and they are turning our world upside
0: down. Now,
1: cryptocurrency exchanges and other VASPs must share sender and receiver personal info with every transaction over $1,000. Major exchanges, privacy advocates, security gurus, and compliance experts will gather to collaborate on an open-source, peer-to-peer solution that preserves privacy. It's two conferences in one, a compliance and regulation track in parallel with a technical hackathon. Learn how the Financial Action Task Force travel rules apply to you. Learn why complying with the BSA travel rule is more pressing. Walk away with working code and demonstrate your compliance. Learn more and register. Go to cyphertrace.com slash travel hyphen
0: rule hyphen conference. Back to my conversation with Alex Gladstein. So one other thing that I wanted to bring up when you were talking about, you know, how this money could be used to surveil uh, the Chinese citizen's kind of even more than they are already with their, their current digital money. I did notice in a speech that the head of the PBOC's Digital Currency Research Institute, Cheng Chen Mu, he basically said that you won't need a bank account to use this digital currency and that it could also be used anonymously like cash. I was slightly incredulous about that, but I, I just wondered what your take was.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt that this could have some sort of blockchain and cryptographic elements to it. We all know that this currency will be totally centralized, confiscatable, surveillable, et cetera, but it may resemble a bearer asset in some ways in terms of being perhaps based uh, with public and private keys, uh, having a ledger that like all the government officials can look at, obviously maybe being better against like common petty theft. Um, it may be better for citizens in that way. But at the end of the day, I would not believe a communist party official, if they're telling us that they're going to create this currency, people can use it anonymously. I think what we all need to know is there's going to be a back door. And that however, like maybe, maybe Alex and Laura um, when we're transacting other people can't see but they could see so th- there's always going to be a back door where the government is going to be able to use this currency to see um, what's going on
0: and I was also curious to know your take on these cashless societies when it's happening in countries where the governments have better human rights records like for instance um, some of the Scandinavian countries are kind of moving toward these cashless societies like do you just view it as oh you know whether or not you can trust the system depends on who the government is or do you advocate that every single person should use a decentralized currency you know never trust a fiat currency or never use a custodial wallet or like kind of what world do you think we should all or how should we all operate in these digital financial worlds
2: yeah, I think we have to be realistic. Um, but my ma- my main thesis is that in a in a all digital economy, or if we want to call it a cashless economy, we're going to need a digital uh, electronic asset that approximates the features of cash that help protect our liberties and privacy. So we're going to want a digital equivalent of cash. I personally believe that's Bitcoin, and I believe that the way that Satoshi solved this dilemma of being able to process a transaction between one party and another without a middleman is so revolutionary. And that's kind of like what gives us the foundation for building uh, a a global payment network uh, that protects privacy. All third parties are privacy holes. So we're talking about Bitcoin as like kind of like the base money for a global payment network. Perhaps it's something like lightning, for example, where people can do payments without having a third party in the middle um, I think that gives us some hope and some inspiration that we, that we can keep the idea of cash alive in a digital society. I think it's something really important that we have to work towards, but we should also just be kind of like realistic and understand that this tech is just not quite there yet. Um, so in the meantime, we should be advocates for cash. Don't <laughs> like I think all people who favor Bitcoin, for example, should also favor cash and, and advocate for it. So there's a lot of like cashless uh, activity happening in terms of like lo- your local cafe may go cashless or you know a particular company may stop accepting cash i mean i think challenging that is is a good stopgap to allow the the bitcoin tech to like get to where it needs to be because because we're not we're just not there yet for the majority of the world's population to be using this thing i mean nowhere really close
0: and earlier when you were saying that you felt that the chinese would learn about bitcoin through using this digital currency and that uh, kind of ultimately this experiment may not go well for china because they would you know people would sort of kind of glom onto the advantages of bitcoin over the digital yuan i wonder though obviously we've seen in recent weeks especially around hong kong or recent months that you know, there was this period previously where I think people thought, oh, China will open up and the population will, you know, start to be more open to democracy and, you know, uh, uh, capitalism will kind of increase the flow of information and that will sort of open things up. But actually, it's it really has not turned out that way. And so do you really think that people will someday down the road, you know, not just take the party line and start thinking a little bit differently from what they're told. Well, and,
2: I mean, I would say, yeah, I would say that, why do you think the Hong Kongers are, are resisting? Because right, they right. have that but taste they don't of live, freedom. They don't right? live in
0: an environment where they're being fed propaganda all the time. There's a little bit more of a free press. It's being cracked down on in Hong Kong as well with this whole thing about the booksellers there. But, But anyway, mm-hmm. beyond that, at least, Hong Kongers have much, much, much more access to information than everyday people in China do.
2: Absolutely. No, I mean, look, the way I would look at it is is the following. Um, the reason I think it could be a blunder for Xi Jinping is because Bitcoin's ability to separate money from state by creating this parallel economy um, represents probably one of the only things that could actually damage his 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 ability to turn China into this like totalitarian dystopia. Um, and I think we can look at an example for the audience of the story. the plot from the matrix right so the protagonist neo was given a choice by morpheus to take the blue pill and stay in his known world of comfort and safety right or he could take the red pill and risk going down the rabbit hole i would say the digital yuan is like the blue pill and there are many people who are fine with the blue pill perhaps even the majority and they're happy to comply by the rules and they don't, they're probably not going to want to risk their comfortable, convenient lives by doing anything that could put their status quo in jeopardy. But there's a lot of NEOs in the world and there's a lot of people who are going to want to take the Bitcoin red pill, especially when it's not possible to censor, when it's hard to track and when its value is increasing year by year against a digital yuan that may work well, but whose value may struggle. So this is why I think that unintentionally this whole blockchain education piece which the Chinese Communist Party is pushing really hard right now, in order to get the like population kind of comfortable with the idea of like a new kind of money, it may end up being one big Trojan horse for Bitcoin. So this is kind of my my general um, working thesis for for kind of the medium to long term future. But again, short term, I'm I'm pretty terrified because I think that this this uh, digital currency that they're building is going to give them so much more insight into the daily activities of their citizens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm worried about uh, some of the populations that are already oppressed there. Um, One thing, uh, so we're going to go slightly over time, but I just wanted to ask one more question, which is that I feel like we're seeing this linking between freedom of speech and financial freedom, where um, obviously we saw in recent weeks, Facebook was taking a lot of flack over allowing political ads that have blatant lies on them and mark zuckerberg then gave this speech saying that that was free speech um and then when he you know had his congressional testimony he uh you know was kind of saying like libra is this counterweight against this chinese digital currency and then obviously in hong kong uh we have the opposite where um or not in hong kong but uh some of the issues around Hong Kong where the NBA or, uh, you know, that video game player who uh, was playing a, an active, uh, a Blizzard, Blizzard Entertainment Star, yes. video, yeah, where they kind of like censored or, um, or yeah, just tried to like not, not offend the Chinese for financial reasons, basically. Um, so I wondered what you thought about the linkage of the, those two things and if you thought that that would sort of continue and, and whether or not there is a link.
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, I think we have to understand that most companies are going to bend the knee to China for mercantilist reasons, which is which is unfortunate. We're watching it. We're watching organizations like the NBA. We're watching Blizzard. Um, all kinds of fashion companies, uh, were are watching uh, airline companies, were watching even Apple removing the Taiwan flag emoji, uh, you know, from users in East Asia, we're watching all the large companies kind of start to buckle. So um, I, I think that the general like perspective of the Trump administration and also Facebook that like, this is a problem and a threat. And like, we need to protect American interests is actually probably like a very helpful and reasonable position to have. Um, I think Zuckerberg is right in being, if he, if he's being genuine, which of course we can question, but if he's, if he's clear eyed about this and he's kind of like, look, I mean, the Chinese government is going to create this currency. They're going to popularize it across belt and road countries and it's eventually going to come to our shores. Then yes, I, I think he's reasonable in wanting to create an alternative. That's at least more America aligned. And I think we need to like be open-minded about that because, uh, this, 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 censurable, surveillable Chinese currency is not going to just be the reality for Chinese people. It, it'll, living in China in the mainland, it'll, it'll be something that, that gets spread far and wide.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering about that because already we're seeing that they're using money to spread Chinese values outside their borders or Chinese Communist Party values. I don't know if they're Chinese values. Well, imagine, <laughs> imagine
2: like a company like Starbucks or Walmart. I mean, all it takes is them to start going into agreement, and you've already seen Tencent has huge offices here in the United States. Um, you can already start to use like WeChat Pay in various places. I mean, if Chinese mainland citizens can start to use their surveillable, trackable digital yuan at any Starbucks in the world, at any Walmart in the world, at any Shell in the world, I mean, you can start seeing how how they can become global citizens too, right? So, um, again, I, I think we should be pay very close attention to what. Libra's doing. And at the end of the day, you know, we may have to bite the bullet and support uh, at least an American-based company like Libra and their intentions uh, over the Chinese Communist Party. But it's going to get get very interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, (laughs) we will keep our eyes on what's going on and have you back to discuss the space race. Thanks so much for coming on Unconfirmed.
2: My pleasure. Anytime, Laura. Thank you.
0: Don't forget, next up is the news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Are you interested in getting into the cryptocurrency markets but don't know where to start building your portfolio? eToro has the answer for you. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply sign up and copy the trader of your choice. Any profits they make, you do too, proportional to your investment. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com. That's etor dot com. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this week's news recap. The title of this week's newsletter is Only We Chinese Pump With Real Money. And my tagline is, um, happy 11th Bitcoin? If you thought Libra was going to be the biggest crypto news of the year, Xi Jinping has another thought for you. The Chinese president, in his first remarks on blockchain technology, advocated that the country go all in on it, and an executive at an organization for Chinese exchanges said the country would launch the first central bank digital currency, and the country then also passed a pro-cryptography law. The country also banned negative sentiments about blockchain. I'm sure this isn't what Bitcoin people were thinking about when they were thinking about censorship resistance, but anyway... China embraced blockchain technology with a gusto that would make Satoshi blush. These moves caused a spike in WeChat searches for blockchain and, to a lesser extent, Bitcoin. And that prompted a Chinese-led rally in Bitcoin and a frenzy for Chinese blockchain-related stocks. Duffy Wan of Primitive Ventures had a colorful tweet translating some of the Chinese traders boasting about how they pumped the price. Quote, F. Well, okay, so I can't swear um, for various reasons on the podcast. Uh, but so just when I say F, I'm sure you can imagine what other word I'm uh, trying to uh, express. F ETF, F backed, F Libra, none of these BS will pump. Only we Chinese with real money, the only way to pump. End quote. The Chinese Communist Party also wasted no time in trying to use blockchain technology in the most dystopian ways possible. It released a dApp where party members could state their loyalty on a blockchain. Next headline, Binance is opening an exchange in Beijing. This is a very new story. Uh, It was posted literally right before I went to record this, is not clear exactly what the office will be doing, but we will be watching this space because the timing of this news after China's pro-blockchain moves is pretty interesting. And also because CZ had a pretty positive reaction to all of Chinese the China um, news about blockchain. He tweeted, when China moves, it moves fast, considering it is the largest body of population on the planet. It's incredible. Don't get left behind, embrace it. Next headline also concerns China. There was a coup at Bitmain this week. Jihan Wu ousted co-CEO Mick Jean. And apparently there's a fairly long history of bad blood between the two. A leaked transcript of a meeting at Bitmain goes into some of the disputes, which began all the way back in 2015. W1 also again has some tweets that give a peek into the drama. She said, quote, one, Jihan turned the Bitmain headquarters upside down while Mikri was in Shenzhen. Two, investors did not know. There was no shareholders' consent. Three, only after the coup, Jihan started to talk with investors on how to negotiate with Mikri. It's pretty interesting. A lot of backstabbing, it sounds like, there. Earlier in the week, competitor Kanan. In- filed for a $400 million IPO on Nasdaq. And then Coin later reported that Bitmain had also filed for an IPO with the SEC. The next headline, why DeFi makes Ethereum unforkable. There's been a lot of chatter recently under about under what circumstances Ethereum should fork, including a poll by Vitalik Buterin and a new piece by Leland Lee and Haseeb Qureshi of Dragonfly Capital argues that DeFi makes it unforkable. They give this example of USDC, the stablecoin issued by Circle and Coinbase and others. And it's the second most used stablecoin in DeFi. And they show how entangled it is in the system and how any single decision by any actor in the DeFi space will basically force everybody else in DeFi along the same fork. The next headline is... Meltem uh, wrote a piece on who will bank this new digital world. So she talks about what she views as kind of the current phase of Bitcoin history and says that as more of our lives have gone digital, there are these huge corporations who manage those digital lives, such as Facebook, Apple, Amazon, etc., And she says that they will also want to own our financial activity. As she puts it, quote, if if you already own everyone's data and digital lives, why would you let a bank capture all of the value of their economic activity? Next headline, blockchain-based clearing gets a green light. Remember that idea from 2015 that blockchain technology would make the back-end offices of all kinds of financial infrastructure more efficient? I definitely remember that because that was the subject of my first huge feature for Forbes, which was almost a cover, which was about how this would happen. Here we are four years later. Uh, Maybe I was wrong. Um, (laughs) But maybe, maybe I will not turn out to be wrong in the long run. Because now three exchanges, including Credit Suisse, obtained a no action letter from the SEC to use such technology created by Paxos. As Fortune puts it, quote, this will mean that brokerages can begin recording a relatively small number of their stock trades with each other on the blockchain rather than on the legacy computers of the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, DTCC, the industry-owned collective responsible for settling and clearing all trades. Fun bits. Happy 11th birthday, Bitcoin. Coinbase pulled together a bunch of fun facts about the original cryptocurrency. I was interested to see that according to Google Trends, in 2009, Austria had the highest relative interest. Go Austria. I actually really love Austria, so I was pretty excited by that. I have a really good friend who's from Austria. Um, And then in 2017, it was Kazakhstan. In 2011, it was Estonia. In 2012, Finland. Hello, local bitcoins um, in 2015, Ghana in 2016, Nigeria and 2017, South Africa, which I found really interesting and not what I expected at all. We will see if China takes the mantle for 2019. That's it for this week's news recap. To learn more about the topics Alice and I discussed, as well as the stories from this week's news recap, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the podcast a top rating and review on iTunes. That helps other listeners find the show. Unconfirmed was produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Factual Corning, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Josh Durham. Thanks for listening.